Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Just a quick announcement before I start the story. My second book titled Leash and Other Short Horror Stories has been released on Amazon. The Kindle version is on sale for today only, for 99 cents, and the paperback copy is $12.99. I know you guys love Siren Head, so here's a story about them. Now, I know what you're going to say. Hearing a radio while camping in the woods? What's so scary about that? Well, for one, we were going so deep, there shouldn't have been a signal for anything outside of satellite phones. My great-great-great-grandfather built a cabin in the middle of nowhere. It's near a lake without a name, and a territory without a name, mostly because this patch of land belonged to natives. My family dealt with them. Beers, cigarettes, and a nice little check in exchange for a spot in that territory. It was an excellent place to hunt, fish, and let loose. I've been like that for generations, and our family kept in good terms with the natives there. Fishing and hunting weren't so good since the natives used a lot of nets and traps, which left very little fish. But the most important thing is that once you got up there, you were alone with nature. And this is why I was so excited to go alongside my friends, Kyle, Thomas, and Matt. Kyle and Thomas both had children at home, so they needed a little bit more time to convince their wives. But once they managed to free themselves for a weekend, the plans were put into motion. This was the perfect place to go on a guy's weekend. So the first thing I did was call my dad, who then informed his friends up there that we would be coming. Borrowed my dad's truck, and with my friends, we set out for the hunting and fishing weekend. It might not seem like much, but for me, who grew up in the city, this place was the most perfect spot on the entire planet. It was so quiet. There was never a sound outside of birds and the wind, the insects buzzing around, and the occasional splash of water when the fish jumped out of it. Plus, the air was just so fresh. Now, I hadn't gone to the cabin in probably, I don't know, 15 years. And I think the last time I went, I was about 13 years old. A little before my parents divorced. After that, I was in and out of my father's house, but I never stayed long enough to fish with him again. Then I became an adult. Life just got busy, you know? But despite that, I still remember how to get there by heart. We used to go every other week for three days, so it's not like it didn't leave a mark in my memory. The trip to the cabin was about a five or six hour drive from my house, so I asked my friends to come join me. I could take one with me, but we couldn't fit all four in the same truck. I needed space for the guns and the fishing rods and the equipment, enough food for three days, clothes, and a lot of other stuff so I don't get caught missing anything. Once you're in the woods, you're in the woods. The closest point to civilization up there is about, 
I don't know, an hour and a half away. So you have to be sure you have everything you need before going in that deep. I had necessary medical supplies. I had a generator, kindling wood for a fireplace, a few kitchen tools. I was sure I didn't forget anything. It took us about seven hours to get to the cabin, mostly because I took a wrong exit. I had to circle back, but it wasn't such a significant delay. It was still bright as we reached the cabin, so we had more than enough time to unpack, cook some burgers, start a little fire in the fireplace, and have a few beers to relax. Nights come fast in that stretch of the world, so by 10pm, we were all in bed. Serves no purpose to run the generator for hours on end, even if I had enough fuel for it. We still wanted to fish in the morning. But none of us could sleep a wink that night. And if we did, it was intermittent at best. When I woke up, I felt groggy, disoriented. I had a pounding headache. I started a fire again and put some water to boil so I could make instant coffee. Thomas joined me not long after, and we got to talking. I asked him, if he had heard it too, during the night, and his eyes gave me my answer instantly. He did hear it, that long, distorted, scratchy sound. It sounded like someone was trying to switch channels on an old radio that had no reception, and sometimes there was a hint of a voice, but the radio signal was so distorted, it was hard to tell. Now I remember telling him, I briefly wondered if one of the guys brought a radio, but then I'd realized the noise came from outside when it moved closer to my side of the cabin. I tried to check outside, but in the darkness, all I could see were trees. Trees and branches being swayed slightly by the wind as a weird unknown radio signal floated about. I told him I didn't remember that from my childhood. We laughed about it, but I was still unsettled. Now, Within an hour, all my friends were up. We had a quick breakfast, made some lunch, and we planned to spend most of the day on the boat so that we could catch some fresh fish for dinner. We had plans in case none of us caught something, but nothing beats the taste of fresh filet dipped in flour and seared in butter. Hell, just thinking about it was making me salivate. Probably because of nostalgia more than actual hunger, though. My dad used to prepare fish like that, with just the zest of lemon and a dash of pepper, and I always thought this was the best food I'd ever had. I might not have been wrong. It couldn't have been any fresher. You see, it's hard to get good fish like that from the grocery store, for sure. Anyway, the fishing trip was uneventful. We had only caught a handful of small sunnies. There wasn't a fish above two pounds for sure, so our lunch was rather small. We still shared our feast, made some rice and veggies, but our fingers were dipping in the chip bag and salsa before long. The next day, we decided to go hunting, and we decided to stay up a little later. We spent a few hours playing cards, drinking, and doing crosswords. It was well over one in the morning when we all decided to go to sleep. And it wasn't out of goodwill as much as the generator told us it was time to go. We heard a buzzing sound and suddenly, the light dimmed as the generator moved to emergency level. 
We quickly cleaned the kitchen, and I turned off the generator once everyone had found their way to their room. My room was the closest to the door, so I only had to tiptoe for a few minutes before finding the comfort of my bed. Now I wish I could say that my half-assed drunken self fell asleep instantly and I had a good night, but I didn't. I fell asleep alright, but I have had a little too much to drink, so the room was spinning. It took me about 20 minutes for the place to stop spinning enough that I could finally get to sleep. And not even two hours later, I was woken up by the same disturbing radio noises from the previous night. I was unsteady on my feet as I stood up and glared out the window, trying to figure out where the noise was coming from. And again, all I saw was branches and trees, and I... Well, I was still intoxicated. So when I saw something move in the distance, I couldn't believe my eyes. I followed the length of that tree-like skeletal form until my eyes locked on two sirens, both of which were turned toward the cabin and blasting radio noises that were scratching my eardrums. So I got thinking... Since when were there any sirens in the trees up there? And why did it look like it moved? Now I stared at it for a solid two or three minutes, and then I realized it wasn't moving. It was swaying. Its arms were just branches swaying in the wind. And I decided to go back to sleep. I don't know why I felt so unsettled, but again... I couldn't sleep well for the rest of the night. The rest of the trees and branches weren't swaying. There wasn't any wind. And yet these branches and the tree with the sirens were definitely moving. I blamed... Well, I blamed alcohol and marijuana. I blamed tiredness. And probably more alcohol. And the next morning all four of us had the same tired expression on our faces. None of us wanted to talk about it, but I still breached the subject during breakfast. I saw sirens. I dropped my fork as I said that, eyes locked on my friends to see their reactions. Thomas instantly said that he didn't see anything, but he heard the radio. He asked if my family had paid its dues with the locals and if maybe someone was playing a prank on us. It wasn't even an option I considered, mostly because I was 100% convinced that my family always kept their end of the bargain, so it didn't make sense that the locals would play pranks on us. Plus, we weren't littering, we weren't bad guests, so there wasn't any reason for them to try to scare us into leaving. We all agreed to search for the sirens while we hunted, but we were all a little on edge. None of us had slept well during this trip, and it was quite a shame since I wanted to make good memories in this place again. It seemed like I should have kept to the childhood souvenirs I had, instead of trying to write new ones in my mind. When we finally went out to hunt, the first thing I did was to go toward where I'd seen the sirens. When I didn't see anything, I started to doubt my eyes. I could have been wrong. I was drunk, I was 
running on fumes, my eyes could have played a trick on me. Now that I was in the forest, though, I felt like I was being observed. I got my roll of orange tape out and started leaving marks behind me every few meters so I wouldn't lose my way. But even as my fingers clutched my gun, I didn't feel safe. And that sentiment only grew to disastrous levels when I heard a shout and a bang. I immediately recognized Matt's voice and started running in that direction, sweaty fingers still clutching tight onto my rifle. I could feel my heart thump in my throat, and I knew he couldn't be shooting at a bear or a deer so soon into the hunt, and the scream he let out was far from victorious. I was the first to arrive on the scene and Matt shot a second time toward what looked like a tree. I wanted to ask him why he was shooting, but my eyes begrudgingly started following the length of this tree. It was familiar, and it left a sour taste in the back of my mouth, and a certain coldness seized my soul. I was petrified by what I was seeing. Limbs like branches swayed aimlessly amidst other inanimate branches, and white as bones, not as birch as I had thought the previous night. The ivory of it was cracked in places, filled with moss and dirt. By the time I was looking at the creature's shoulders, its long gray claws were swiping at Matt, and the sound of the piercing sirens were going off, pulsating in my head. I heard a gurgle as my eyes laid upon the creature's head. I aimed and I shot, not thinking twice, and both Thomas and Kyle arrived at that moment. Hands clapped over their ears. I hit it. I hit it, and the loudest, shrillest scratchy radio sound in the universe tore through the atmosphere and brought me to my knees. I dropped my gun and covered my ears as the sirens blared at unprecedented decibels and I was sure my eardrums were going to tear to pieces and I was just going to die. I felt blood, thick and warm as it crept up my ear canal and eventually dripped out of my ears. It was slick and disgusting, and I felt like I was going to vomit. The noise finally ended, and I stared up to see one of the siren heads was nothing but a destroyed mass of electric wires on top of a bony structure darkened by the explosion of one of its heads. My head was spinning as I grabbed my rifle, but my fingers were covered in blood and I dropped it again. My ears were ringing and I couldn't hear a thing, and I couldn't shoot. I listened to a distant bang and turned my attention to Thomas, only to see that he was shooting at the siren-headed creature. I dashed towards Matt's body, hoping that he would just passed out. As I reached him, the smell of iron and gore overwhelmed me. I managed to keep my breakfast in, but the sight of his eviscerated guts dripping out of his freshly torn stomach, it messed me up. The creature released another shrill, scratchy noise, but this time it was far less intense probably because it only had one of its sirens left, and perhaps my eardrums were almost destroyed. I barely had the time to lift my head to see it taking a swipe at me, 
and I managed to move away in the nick of time. I felt something burn on my hip, and I realized I'd been slashed. I ran. I stood up, stared at both of my friends, and ran. I ran towards the edge of the forest, or where I remembered it to be. I couldn't hear if they were following me. My eardrums were still throbbing from the first assault. Those of us who still stood made it back to the cabin. I didn't bother packing. I took my keys and so did Thomas. We left in a hurry. We stopped at the local town's clinic about an hour and a half away from the cabin. I didn't care if I looked crazy, and I explained what happened to them. And the local doctor gave us a knowing look. We ended up staying there a week. We never saw a single police officer, and there was no investigation. A group of the locals went to retrieve Matt's body and said it was mauled by a bear. I told my wife the truth, and, well, she says she believes me, but I can see it in her eyes that she doesn't. I haven't been able to sleep a full night since it happened, and the sound of turning on her radio, still to this day, gives me so much fear and anxiety that I just can't. So, you're probably asking, what's so scary about hearing a radio sound in the woods? Fuck, everything man, just everything. If you ever hear a radio where you're not supposed to hear a radio, leave. The radio is a warning, and blaring sirens announce your demise. We didn't heed it.